SBC Media. Hello and welcome to Cinema Reels, the gambling movie podcast where we talk about which films are three trays in a backroom game of three-card brag and which are drawing completely dead. I'm SBC America's editor, Jessica Wellman, and I am joined in person by my partners in crime, James Ross and John Cook. And today, I feel like I'm going to regret this. We're going to be talking <laughs> about lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. And uh, I'm going to go right on record now. I don't believe this is a gambling movie, but we will get to that <laughs> later. Um, this is where I have to do our quick asides uh, before we dive in, guys. We're going to spoil this movie if you haven't seen it in the past 25 years since it's been out. Um, so just be advised now's the time to tune out if you don't want to know what happens in it. Also, we don't normally curse, but given how much these guys have been quoting the movie leading up to us hitting the record button i feel like some curse words are going to be in here so hide your children pretty much that would yeah. definitely be curse words. there'll be a lot yeah all right before we talk about the movie itself opening question what's your favorite thing about the east end of london and i will defer to the home team in the room john the east end cockney that was actually born in the sound of the bay bells um my favorite thing about the east end of london is the gangster reputation it has and it's in this film as well. I mean, it's traditional gangsters from the 60s, the craze. Oh, is that where the craze? That's where the craze mm -hmm. were from. Okay. The blind beggar is around the corner from where I was born. Oh, I'll give you that one. There's still the bullet above the, there's still the bullet in the bar, apparently. Is there? Yeah, from from when Jack the Hat McVissey was shot. There's all the stories of bodies in concrete under the, A, under the motorways and the flyovers and everything like that in London. Yeah. And then when the... Uh, Olympic Games was in the East End of London. There you go. The Olympic Games was in the East End of London. You would, uh, when they closed it down, they had a number of investigations of bodies that were found in the marshes. So I love that the recurring theme of these questions is that whatever I ask John, the answer will amount to, well, there was this criminal once. <laughs> and whenever I ask James, the answers amount to, well, I've never been there. And that trend's not going to change right now. <laughs> the East End of London, huh? You just never found time? Um, so I'm from the north of England, from Manchester. And I, I do not have a love for London. Sorry for all the Londoners listening out there. or the one across from the table right now. Fucking okay, Northern monkey. Fuck, southern fairy. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, I never had the love of London. I've been a few times. Um... I don't mind Notting Hill, but I don't think that's... No, that's East. West London. West London, yeah. So I'm more of a West kind of guy, if I had to pick somewhere. But the Craze, I didn't realise they were from the East End, so I'll give you that one. I do like the Craze twins. Right, okay. Um, Did you know them personally? Yeah, best friends with them. Yeah? yeah. Oh, Me okay. and the Quality Street gang used to hang out with them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, James, I can at least commiserate with you on this. I actually have never been to London. I've Ooh. had a layover in Heathrow, and that's as close to British soil... As I've gotten. London's great for two to three days of a trip. But for me, apart from that, I wouldn't venture any further. I wouldn't venture any further east. I wouldn't really go north London. I think it's north London. Why wouldn't you go north London? I'm quite a... Um, what, what do you think of north London? I've got this opinion that it's very rough and... And Manchester isn't. Well, no, because if you read the Daily Mail... Which some of, oh, our, yeah, some, everyone reads some of our readers might read okay, the Daily I Mail. I actually do read a fair amount of the um, Daily Mail. Oh, I love my God. gossip. But all the headlines are Wild West London, and it always seems to originate from the East or the North London. So, and I'm quite a, uh, I'm not an anxious person, but I'd rather not risk my life to go down to London and go to like the North or East. I do say I, what I do love is the accent, the Cockney accent. Yeah, is, you've got a good accent. That was the first. Like in when I was a theater kid, that was the first accent I could really like do. Oh, do it! Uh, well, yeah. then, oh, what I'm thinking is that we might go down and do I don't know, buy some fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> That's very Oliver Twist. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, you you clearly were part of Fagan's gang. Yeah, was that what you were doing? At <laughs> yes, exactly. Store? Fagan's gang. I was a, I was a spry little orphan. All right. Uh, 
let's get started. Guys, I know this is the part where I'm supposed to explain to you what this movie is and what happened in it. But I gotta be honest. I can't really tell you, like, I I had a really hard time. This movie has like 9 million people in it. And I don't know any of these actors except a few. So I'm just going to read you guys the list of how I referred to people in my head as this movie was happening, which is card player, low rent Harry Connick Jr., tall ginger, Jason Statham, older Danny Masterson, chunky sweater guy, Kevin Klein in Fierce Creatures, guy who does baptisms, Sting, Jeremy Allen White but hotter, taller stoner, <laughs> young Bowie, other stoner, Bash from Boston's Eleven, Jerry Curl Guy, Jerry Curl Guy's tiny friend, Vinnie Jones, Vinnie Jones Jr., unconscious girl, Tiki Bar TV guy, big hustler. I get that. <laughs> That's the quiz, actually. You have to match now who each of these people are. I don't know. There's like 900 people in it. So this is what I came up with, but you might have to take the reins. Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels is the directorial feature film debut of Guy Ritchie and follows a cast of characters in London as some play big and go home empty, some grow weed, some run a sex shop, and they all cross paths in a series of heists gone wrong? Pretty much. It's Am I not missing heist, anything? It's, it's kind of, they're not heists gone wrong. They are, it's just a bunch of wannabe criminals who are just bad at it. I wouldn't they, even call them wannabe bit, criminals. Well, some of them are criminals. You had like right? Eddie, Soap, Tom, and who's the other one? Bacon. Yeah. They're not criminals. No, they're sense. white boys. They're, they're just, well, what? Tom's the entrepreneur, Soap's a chef. Yeah, yeah. Eddie plays cards, and I don't even know what Bacon does. Oh, he's, yeah, Bacon's a bit of a criminal, to be honest. Yeah, he yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I wouldn't call them like criminals or like you had with the neighbors and who's the Afro dude? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. His name Bash from Ocean's Eleven. Bash from Ocean's Eleven. There you go. Rory, was that his name? Rory. Yeah. Rory. 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 Wow, I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Rory Breaker. That's the one. I'm going to be honest. I found this film really hard. I found it really hard to watch and critique because it's basically the... Your life. It is. No, it's not my life. It's like the... It's the... It's a very focal point of my age group that came from Essex, East End of London, that kind of group of people. It's the focal point that brought everything together that everyone just, it just became iconic. How it many is an times iconic have you film. seen this movie? Um, not as many as, not as many as some, I mean, I know people that have watched this like to go to bed since it came out. James, how many times have you seen this movie? We're reaching double figures. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely 100%. in double figures. Um, okay, I've yet to see it before. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, I'm yet to see it, which I was like, that was a really good explanation <laughs> I, of everything. I wish but. I could say so. No, I remember it coming out it, it, uh, like Blockbuster, and I think I was always like, oh, this is one I should watch, but it just, as someone who is, I deeply loathe Quentin Tarantino movies, uh, the idea of like the British Tarantino, not exactly one that I'm eager to go and see. Yeah, but he's so good. I wouldn't say he's so good. Do you not think? I See, think, I think he, early he, Guy Ritchie stuff is brilliant. And I think it got to, what's one with Charlie Hunnam when they had David Beckham in it? About, is it Sword in the Stone or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. That absolutely ruined any appeal for Guy Ritchie for me. And it is only, I was talking before this, the gentleman that actually got me back into him a yeah, little bit. Yeah, but this, that film, it's not the Sword in the Stone. It is... Um, is it King Arthur? King Arthur. King Arthur was a complete and utter sidestep for him. I mean, that was a joke of a film. Do you guys go see every guy? You're like, oh, a new guy, Richie movie's oh, no. out. I gotta go. Yeah, I kind of do. Okay. I kind of, I, I have to see all Guy Ritchie movies because I think he's, he's really not, good. No, he's not the driving appeal for me. I can't all. tell you one that I remember, liked, cared about. I saw The Gentleman and the costume design in it was wonderful. Yeah. Do a list of Guy Ritchie films. I can't. Let's Genuinely. Google, okay, Google. wait, no, no, no. No Googling. There's a quiz later. <laughs> oh, is the okay. Oh, no. So was Snatch, was that a Guy Snatch Ritchie film? Snatch is a Guy Ritchie film. Layer cake. That's is what a Guy made Ritchie him famous film. in the US was Snatch. So I actually think Snatch is better than Lockstock. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. But Lockstock introduced that culture. I didn't realize this was his debut though. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't realize. But it's also Vinnie Jones's debut. He was brilliant in but this. But why he was so brilliant in that is because Guy Ritchie basically turned around to him and went, look, 
what I want you to do is act like you did on a football pitch. Be an absolute <laughs> thug, grab Dennis Wise's balls, but do it metaphorically in a film. But and the, he was great. Just for the people who don't know, Vinnie Jones used to play for Wimbledon. Wimbledon. He was yeah. part of the crazy game. Yeah. So that was in the eight, was it the 80s? Uh, yeah, 80s. And there's a very famous picture of him grabbing Dennis Wise, Chelsea players, nuts in the uh, in the penalty box. And that basically made him. Yeah. That one, that one thing that he did. He that'll was a very f- cheeky football player. That'll be our feature image for this on social media when we're yeah, promoting this podcast. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty I'm much. about to blaspheme both oh, of you. Okay. In the US, Snatch was a movie that I think was somewhat popular, but like honestly in the US, he was just Mr. Madonna. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was less known for being a film director than he was just being Yeah, Madonna's but he spell. was... He was basically Mr. Madonna in the UK as well. It's not a, it's not a US thing. That's what he became. His films came out, but he became famous because he was Madonna's partner. Okay. And then I think that appeal of him as a director was like, oh, let's get Madonna's husband to do this film. He's a cheeky cockney. Let's see what he can do. But anyway, I'm going to go back to the film because we've not spoken anything about it. Lockstock is, and we had this conversation the other day, right? It was either Lockstock or it was Train Spotting. Which one was the highest ranked film in the yeah. BFI? Which it was Train Spotting, right? Yeah, tra- I don't even think Lockstock and then was on the list. Lockstock didn't even feature in this, but Lockstock is one of the most iconic British films because. It not only did it set the culture for a generation of kids sort of my age who wanted to be seen as cool cockneys or mockneys, and this was not just an East End London thing. This was uh, throughout the whole of the UK. It made its way into popular garage music. It made made its way into sort of street culture. It made its way into talking in pubs. It made the old school cockney rhyming slang that was kind of falling out the falling out of love within the east end it reinvigorated that things like apples and pears dog and bone all of that shit that became a little bit more iconic there and it was it kind of that also the essex boys films all of that gangster sort of east end gangster film culture came out in the uk where i think if if this film didn't exist and in fact, if Trainspotting didn't exist as well, if the two films didn't exist, I think we would have just missed a whole section of British films. I just don't think they would have existed. So I think it's actually quite an important film. While some, it is a love it or hate it, and it's also a film that, as you'll probably explain, doesn't make a lot of sense, and the language used in it doesn't make a huge deal of sense. But it's kind of... I don't even know how you would describe the film, right? Is it a comedy? Is it a gangster movie? Is it a drama? Is it a... It's just It feels brilliant. like a, a heist movie to me yeah, yeah. more than anything. Um, you know, it. I think it is a movie that thinks it's very clever for having everything kind of neatly wrap up in the bow at the end, which feels like a lot of what Guy Ritchie does from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Like the gentleman is kind of similar where it's like, you know, at the end he's kind of like, ta-da, look how I took this very messy, complicated thing and made it all make sense. And I was like, I mean, thanks. But Guy Ritchie films do that. Yeah, that's his shtick, I assume. That is his his thing. Make something ridiculously complicated and then, like you say, wrap it up in a nice bow at the end. And the stilted delivery kind of gets me too. And because I, I was listening to the gentleman for a minute or watching the gentleman for a minute last night to remind myself. And it's like this very kind of theatrical style of presenting dialogue where it doesn't sound realistic, uh, which was, you know what it is? Uh, I didn't hate this movie. I was mostly indifferent to it because I was like, oh, it's like a student film. Oh, hundred percent. It's like all the student films I've had to watch where everyone's like, I'm just going to I'm going to do everything in the kitchen sink and every little gimmick and every little affectation because I've seen all my Tarantino movies and I want to be like Tarantino. And so, 
you know, and I, I bet student films now aren't this way, but at this particular time in history, when I was coming out of high school into college, this is what all the student films looked like. And so it just felt like did it though? everything I've seen a million times. It was slightly more intelligent than some of the student films that came out of the US though. Like maybe, maybe. American Pie. No, no. When I say student film, I mean I am a film school oh, as student. as a film student film. Oh, making right. Making a film. No, but I, I mean this as a, a student film, as in you're in student digs at university, you're hanging, you've got a can of baked beans in the fridge, that's it. What do you do? You turn on Lockstock. You turn so on- So you're talking about the artistic side yeah, of things. Yeah. You're talking about- I'm talking it's, like It's overworked. Culture. Um, because most I student think, films tend to be. But I think, I think this film is, it was one of the points I was going to bring up, actually. There are lots of classy elements in this film, like freeze frame, speed shots. What do some we things, call this classy? No, but you, you would use in a classy way in you a film. Could. As a technique, yes. you could use in a classy way. But it does feel like Guy Ritchie's first directorial debut He's trying to shove everything in there. Well, I think it goes back to the casino thing where we're saying that Scorsese was telling you the story and not showing it you. Yeah, yeah. And I think you have the elements with this with the Guy Ritchie, but I think if you wanted to reach that mass audience, you had to do it in a sense because, Jess, you might, you've never been to the East End of London, have you? So you might not have understood some of the lingo going on. Yeah, what does keep your Allens on mean? Keep your Allens on? Yeah. That's a really good question. I have no idea. Keep your Allens on. Can you use it in a sentence? I, I mean, it sounded, <laughs> it sounded like what, what Southerners... Who said it? Uh, okay, is it like keep, I think it was that is it like heavy keep, set guy who barters everything. Is it keep, like, keep your head on? I, keep I believe like, in, as Southerners, we would say, you know, don't get your panties in a knot. Yeah, so it's like... Keep your Allen... So you, you tighten a screw with an Allen key. Oh. So it's like, keep your head on. Okay, and then... Can we clarify the word monkey was used like 50 different ways? Yeah. Is this just like when in doubt throw? Because the, the little kid said he's got a monkey in his wallet. Quid. Oh, okay. But so then people were a, getting called monkeys. So you've got a score, which is 20 quid. Okay. You've got a monkey, which is 500. You've got a ton, which is 100. There's a sequence of slang, which is used to explain notes. Got you. So. Tenor, fiver. Lady yeah. Godiva, fiver. I never knew that one. Lady Godiva's a fiver. Lady Godiva is a fiver. Okay. That's far too fancy for a $5 bill or five quid bill. Yeah. But that's what it was. I don't know why people came up with, people came up with Cockney Roman slang because fiver is so much easier to say than Lady Godiva. <laughs> I wonder if it became a Godiva. Maybe it did. I don't know. I've not known it from that way. I wonder if it's something to do with the, I'm going to say mafia days, but the cockney crime days where they use lingo to kind of mask what they're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, James, I think we haven't gotten, what does this movie mean to you? Do you like it? Do you care about it the same way that, that John does? I think John's got more history behind this film in terms of just being from the East End. But for me, again, it's kind of growing up. I mentioned like it's not Flintstones level. But I watched this film and it's kind of my it, Wait, is it higher or lower than the Flintstones? It doesn't mean something to me like Dino does. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> yeah. Eddie's got nothing on Dino. But it's kind of I, I watched it when I was younger and it was my first introduction to these English mafia films. And I'm being from England, I was never really a big fan of British films until I was at least in my early twenties. I was never a fan of it apart from this film. And maybe that was how big it is for me because I'm a film student and that was my gateway into films in the British era. That was your gateway drug to British films. Yeah, in a but way. But if you think about it though, like I was saying before, this reimagined a genre of British films. But also, I think around that time there was a lot of there was a lot of British films coming onto the market mm. that were for years and years and years never they would pretty much go straight to video right or straight to dvd yeah I, I, um this had the level of quadrophenia yeah to me yeah, so yeah. quadrophenia used is the staple british film and 
I think it's up there with one of the best British films made. That was very polite of you. Yeah, I thought you were okay. going to be a bit more harsh there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but you, you said it as well. It's set a culture, and Quadrophenia did. Yeah, Quadrophenia set a culture, and that is what British films do. Yeah, that's what they do really well. But if you think about it, before before sort of the nineties, which was the resurgence of the British film industry, before then. Pinewood was basically churning out carry-on films and some other crap that was going straight to video. I mean, yeah. to get film schooly, the era before the 90s was British kitchen sink realism. Loneliness of the long-distance runner. Um, what's the one? Are you talking about Chariots of Fire? No. What's the loneliness of the long-distance runner? Is that actually a decent That's a British, no. It's the movie <laughs> you watch in film school because they make you. Um, right. So it was a lot of like very same thing, very like working class people, but it was like super, super realistic, not a lot of plot. Cleo from nine to five, I think is mm. is in this vein too. So that's like, you know, in film school, what we kind of thought of, you know, you, you go back further to, you know, the red shoes and the Powell and Pressburger yeah. and stuff. But after that, it's kitchen sink realism, which was just never my personal favorite. But you now look at the film industry in the UK and I would say it rivals Hollywood. I mean, it's it's fa- it's crazy to me. I'm like, it does seem like there's British people in just about everything I watch. Yeah. And a British touch to it. But yeah, this is a much more kind of stylized version of filmmaking than, you know, it's almost like a return to Powell and Pressburger. Yeah. I'm going yeah. way yeah. down the film school. No, but that's interesting. If we stick with the, if we stick with the film's kind of element with this score, this was the first film that I remember where I thought the soundtrack and the score to this film is incredible. Yeah, the soundtrack and is amazing. Being from Manchester, if you go to like Moss Side, I can't remember the song in this, but it's like the police and thieves in the street. That's very kind of Moss Side elements, yeah, which yeah. is a place in Manchester which had kind of a reggae vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just emphasised kind of what the nineties was about. And but I. I think that's interesting as well where they've actually, what they've kind of done, what Guy Ritchie's done in quite a clever way within this film is he's kind of shown the development of the East End of London Mm. in the characters that are there. He's shown the development of the East End of London and the different cultures that are coming out. So you have the uh, want-to-be reggae star, which is with the posh Etonians in the, in the that are selling the weed, oh, which yeah. is basically his the the line that he seems to get out of his mouth most of the time is "chill windstorm," <laughs> which for I mean that was for 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 British people that was a reference to going back to Desmond, which was the, the um, sitcom in the eighties about a barber shop. Oh, I've never seen that one. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I don't know why, but I, I thought it was a reference to Love Thy Neighbour. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just, it's fantastic. that, and, and I think what he does really well is he just shows some of the, it's almost pantomime characters, mm-hmm. but those people do exist. Like, I know people that, like, act and walk and talk like that. Growing up when I was a kid in the East End of London, there was Uncle Jimmy around the corner who you knew was a little bit naughty. Mm. That kind of person was there. This is a good transition for who was your favorite, you know, character or performer in this movie? Do you have one or maybe I'll let you. Maximum two. I can't hear you guys talk about how amazing this movie is much longer. <laughs> it. it was just so mad to me. It was just like, okay, yeah, I've seen this a million times, some version of this. Uh, it's just British. So before, before we move on to who the favorite character is, I'm quite intrigued because you said there were a load of questions that you wanted to ask us about sort of the, fi- the film and the culture. And the no, no, these, I've, I've gotten a lot of them out and you've explained a lot of them. Let me see. We, the keep your Allens on, the monkey thing. Um, this is less for you and more for our producer. Are we allowed to say dildo on this podcast? Um, uh, yeah, we're fine saying dildo. It's um, part of the it's part of the film. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this this Samoa bar thing. Yeah. Are, are they called Samoa bars? No, I've, that, I've never, I've seen, never one. seen a Samoan bar. Do you know what a tiki bar is? I've seen a tiki I know bar. What a tiki bar is, yeah. Okay, I was like, oh, is this just what like British you, people you call? You have Trader Vic's, which is yeah. a really famous tiki yeah. restaurant. 
um, in one of the, it's actually closed down now. It's been there since the 60s. And it's a really famous restaurant that all famous celebrities used to go to and so on. I took my son there for his 21st birthday party. I say birthday party, it was like the family dinner. And I've never seen a fishbowl so large of a Mai Tai in my life. I will never buy one again. It was like 100 quid. But it was, it took six people to drink it. And I hate Mai Tais. Oh, I love a Mai Tai. Give me a cocktail in a, in a fruit vessel and I will always be a happy camper. So, I apologize for the sound quality of my microphone. I keep on, I keep on moving away from it, apparently. Well, also, he's staring at us, both holding it in our hands and has yet to... Like, yes, I'm lazy. Has yet to, to, to get the memo. Okay. I was trying to be so subtle, just lift it to your mouth. <laughs> James is going to have both... So, moving, moving on favorite to favorite character. character. Um, I've got to say, this is the only person that I just genuinely... I think he's amazing. Dexter Fletcher. Which one's that? He's the chef. Oh, Low Rent Harry Connick Jr. Ah, that's who you explained as Low Rent Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. Who's who's Harry Connick Jr.? (gasps) He's a singer in the US. He's kind of like a crooner throwback to the old school. Like think Michael Buble kind of, but also in movies and very charming. So film you would probably know him from. He was in Bugsy Malone. I love Bugsy Malone. Yeah, so now, he... Now, see, that's the greatest British movie ever made. He was... He was one of the... One of the... Uh, I haven't watched it in so long, so I can't remember. He I, was one of the ringleaders. Okay. Um, but he had loads of lines in that. And then he went on to create something called The Press Gang. And The Press Gang was like an 80s... Um, sort of five o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday... TV series that you kind of watched and just really enjoyed. It was about a load of students who were running a student newspaper. Oh, that's So fun. that was quite fun. And then he went on to direct things like, um, well, we spoke earlier on Elton John and he also did, took over in Bohemian Rhapsody, the Elton John movie he did, he took over in Bohemian Rhapsody. But my favourite film of his, and actually one of possibly my favourite films, because it's got the Pretenders music in it, is Sunshine on Leith which is just an amazing film. It's actually shit, but it's an amazing film if you love The uh, Pretenders. And interesting fact about Dexter Fletcher, every movie that he's ever directed, he has a cameo, and normally he's getting pissed. Mm. Okay, James? I'm not going to go into that level of detail. (laughs) Um, Is it one or two we can pick? Max two. Max two. So I'm going to say Vinnie Jones, because... I'm actually not a massive fan of Vinnie Jones in the, <gasps> as an actor, but I, f- I feel like this performance, he kind of stole the show when he came on the screen every time. It was yeah. just hilarious. Um, but I actually also like Lenny McLean as the governor. Yeah. I thought he, the, the big guy who works for Hatchet Harry. Oh, the baptism dude. Bar- yeah, Barry the Baptist, sorry, not the governor. Okay. Um, Barry the Baptist, yeah. When he came on the screen, I think he epitomized a cockney for me which is why i really liked him for me he just he, he was just a cockney for me but he also did you know he was um he was a boxer well an unlicensed boxer anyway yeah you can tell by his face really <laughs> uh that's not surprising at all um but he's kind of sorry if we're playing footsie under the table. First time we've we've seen each other and done this in person and i'm playing footsie with james on the table get a room. um yeah he does sort of epitomize the what you would imagine to be an East End gangster. Yeah. I they're a lot scarier than he is. He's and a lot scary. Less, a lot less shouty. I mean, it's really? the East End of London has changed dramatically. And this is why I love London so much. I, I I know you don't love London, but London is just such a melting pot of cultures and people that you get concentric rings of different groups of people as they've come into London. So you got like the East End gangsters are now all out into Essex Way because they've spread out because the Windrush generation came through. And then you've got the, now you've got a lot of Pakistani heritage in there and you've also got a lot of Indian heritage in there and you've got a real mix of cultures in London. And the East End is now, I would say, a very mixed vibe and i think some of the 
some of that is the negativity. So where you see like stabbings and stuff like that, mm. some of that is the negative side of it where it is a cultural divide. Um, but I don't think that's the whole reason. But I think it's just amazing. And if you think about the East End of London, what it came through during the war, back in the day, during the war, <laughs> um, what it came through during the war in terms of being bombed and the real sort of my my nan, for example, she was the the war generation. She was the sort of epitome of the British stiff upper lip and the the continual sort of survival. And she being in the an East Ender, uh, she carried on the East End of London and like mm-hmm. going for pie and mash, going down to the market, doing all of that sort of stuff. I think I've I've lost the train of thought where this yeah, links to the film, really but it's this. just amazing. <laughs> what I love about this podcast right now is it's supposed to be a film podcast that I mean, to do a gambling, but I actually like lane. the fact we've gone into kind of a history of London a from you. Session. I actually really like this. Yeah, I, I, look, this is an interpretation. I don't think this is in any way, shape or form a real sort of fact, but there are places in London, like I was born in Whitechapel and Whitechapel used to be very much a East End gangster route. Now it is a real mix of, of cultures and the market has got Bengali, it's got some, it's got Somali and it's got Pakistani, it's got Indian foods, it's got British So foods. how long has that market been there for? Because it was, Hundreds of years, isn't it? Outside, outside of the the Royal London, yeah. Like I mean, 16, the Royal London Hospital, I think, was nineteen nineteen oh one. Well, the Royal London Hospital was part of the founding of the NHS, mm-hmm. but it used to be a, it, there was a private hospital there before. I spent a lot of my youth growing up around that hospital because my mum was a lecturer in nursing midwifery that was right behind the Royal London Hospital. And my mm-hmm. father was ill. He would be in the Royal London Hospital as part okay. of that. We are going really off and track. And I was born there as but, well. But anyway, I'm going to I hate to be <laughs> We could talk about this. Yeah, we could talk about this another time. Sorry, 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 dear listener. I'm going to be the taskmaster because there's still we still got to talk about gambling here. For the five minutes that it was in. My favorite performer, it's going to be cliche, but actually like, I haven't really seen a ton of Jason Statham movies because that's just not my cup of tea. But when I have seen him, I was like, this is just a bald dude. And I finally saw the charm of Jason Statham in this movie where I was like, oh, he is actually kind of charming and scampish and and funny. Yeah. Jason Statham is one of those actors where when you see sort of he, he actually acts in this. He doesn't he doesn't do Jason Statham on on screen. He actually acts in this and he's quite good. Um, but he's one of those actors that I just don't understand how he's now become part of the like billions sort of, and billions of dollars yeah. worth of movies. I genuinely don't like understand how he's become franchises. like the British version of uh Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I yeah. mean, where the hell's that come from? Although don't mm. sleep on the Meg. That's a that's Oh a fun the Meg. One. Yeah, I, mm. I can't watch that film. Second one's coming out. I'm, uh, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, the gambling in this. Okay. Um, I'll do a quick fact check. Uh, I'd never heard of three card brag before. I didn't know it was a thing. I went and looked it up. It is like a, a game that is played. It started in Britain. It came over to America. I don't think ever really caught on. Um, essentially, it's like three card poker, except the best hand is three threes or three trays. Um, the next best hand is three aces, then three of a kind, kings down to deuces, partial flushes, partial straights, um, and then, you know, pairs and high cards. So it's a thing. It exists. Uh, backroom games always have things that you need to be worried about, like somebody using a camera to peek at your cards or use like the telegraph wire to convey what, um, you know, is what your opponents have. Uh, here's a question. Would you back Ed the card player in a game? Yes, yes. I would. Hands down, yes. Yeah, enjoy was, lighting your money on fire. No, but he <laughs> was he was basically riled into that. Okay. I've been nice. I'm not being nice about this movie <laughs> anymore because this was so Fucking preposterous. <laughs> <laughs> I was lo- Okay, so I just told you what the best hands are, right? Which means a pair of sixes 
is not a good hand. No, no. But sometimes Nor, you play the play and not the not the. the you game. can't beat anything. You have two sixes. It, at the end of the day, you have to turn over your hand, and that's what wins. So it's like if this guy, if you're ever playing poker with someone and mid hand, they're like, "I will give you a quarter of a million dollars so you can keep playing this hand with me." The chances this person is bluffing is virtually non-existent. It's like a two percent chance. So this guy, who's supposed to be this amazing reader of people, can't read the most patently obvious situation on earth that he is absolutely crushed. No, like I would never give this man a penny. To be fair, he he didn't have a choice to back out of this because you could how, fold. Well, no. Once you no, he would have been out. He would have been out of the game. Yeah, but okay, then, but that, now you're in more. It, it, but that's because Harry the Hatchet made him do this. Yeah, he didn't have a choice. Like, he would have. He would have been beaten up and killed. A hundred grand. You should be like, okay. Even though I think he has nothing, at the end of the day, I have to turn over my hand, and my hand is two sixes, and I cannot beat shit. So why am I still in this hand? I can't bluff him out. Yeah, the reason he did that was because at the very, very start of the game, when he walked in, he was riled because he went, how's your dad? And he knew that there was a link to his father, and then okay. the, well, the comeback was brilliant. I'm not some guy who gets on monkey tilt just because their dad got mentioned. No, 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 like, no. But this it's... guy was a terrible card player. Like, possibly the worst. I'd rather back that Nick guy in the Win It All movie. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. I forgot we did that movie like, <laughs> so long I ago. I mean, I would rather back Fred Flintstone than no. this guy. Again, we didn't see it on the screen, but it was it was told to us that he was a great card player. It was just that one scene that you're going off in terms of, oh no, we can only go off what we can see. But I mean, if someone has the biggest tell on earth and you can't pick up on it, you're not a very good card player. No, and also, actually, one of the things, I'm going to pick the film part on this one. One of the things that show supposedly showed that Ed was a good card player was that he was turning cards in his hands with his eyes shut, but all he was essentially doing was just splitting the pack and putting it back yeah, together. Yeah, just again. shuffling. Tricks. It just annoyed me. Yeah, but it oh. wasn't even a shuffling trick. It was just splitting the pack yeah. and putting it back together again. Yeah. No. But anyway, if someone turned around to you and says, "Here you go, I'm going to give you up to half a million pound," and you're sitting there and you're going we need this money because of X, Y, and Z. Let's be honest. It's a deal. It's a steal. It's the what sale of the fucking century. about? No. Oh I just had sale oh. to get that quote yeah. in. Oh my God. I mean, we've done well I, to I do about 39 minutes and, and not quote I just wanted to scream <laughs> that this was just this one of the stupider poker hands I've ever seen. Um, not a fan. Also, they kept like verbally announcing their bets, but then would like lean in and rake in a pot as if they had put chips in the middle when all the time I don't see any hands moving, they're just announcing the whole time. Oh, and they're playing with plaques. Who plays with plaques? We're not in Monte Carlo. We're in a backroom East End London boxing ring and your chips are plaques. Like, screw you. This is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I, I warned about cursing, but like, I was just like, not a fan of the movie to begin with. And then the only gambling scene was just me expecting to believe that this idiot was a, an accomplished card player was far too much to swallow. I, I think we need to move on and just have a conversation about whether this beats yes. the Flintstones Viva, I do think Viva Rock Vegas. Best. Because if we don't and it doesn't beat that, I'm literally going to hang myself in this room. <laughs> well, I've left my soapbox for you that I just got off of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, so John, I need, I'm I think- just trying to get James to come on my side on this one. I think this will be the first time we actually agree on something. Okay, so we've yeah. This. John, we know. Is it better than the Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas? Yes. Miles better. But there's a caveat to this. It's not a gambling movie. It's a million percent not a gambling it's, movie. And, and to be honest, the rules of it, it has to have gambling in. It does have gambling in, but it, it, yeah, it just played to the, it's just amazing. It's just an ego film for a cockney. If you ask me which one I needed to watch again, gun to my head, it would be the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas because it's just, it was just all over the place. There's 900 million characters. I don't know any of their names. I don't know anything about any of them. I don't care what happens to them, but like Sting's cool. <laughs> 
Okay, I'll say Please mine. Please save this. I'll say mine. So... What would Dino do, James? What would, what Dino, would do? Dino do? So I, I, yeah, okay. So, Lockstock Spell. I'll say that straight off the bat. But oh. did I enjoy it as much as the Flintstones? I actually enjoyed the Flintstones more. Oh my God. Um, but I came, no, I, when you come out of the film. There's a blood vessel popping out. Fuck you both. <laughs> no, listen, I haven't, I haven't finished. I haven't finished. I came out of the Flintstones not liking it with low expectations. Sorry, that was wrong. I came out of the Flintstones with low expectations and high outcomes. So I really enjoyed it. Right. With Lockstock, I've seen it so many times, but the fact I still enjoy the film after so many watches yeah, yeah, yeah. gives it credit. So Lockstock's a better film, but I enjoyed watching the Flintstones more this time around. Can I just ask a question on this? Yeah, sure. Go back to the first time you watched Lockstock. Okay. Did you like it? Loved it. I didn't. Really? I liked it after the second time of watching. Oh, this is how I felt about Napoleon Dynamite, where I was like, oh. this is so stupid. And the second time I was like, this is genius. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I loved Lockstock when I first watched it. Loved All it. right. We, okay. have a, we have a new leader in the clubhouse. And so Yay. I guess it's time to move on to the quiz. Quickly. How is this clubhouse working? I just keep track of. So now the, the movie to beat is Lockstock. Okay. And if the next film is not better than Lockstock, then Lockstock retain, uh, remains the leader So it's in like the when, it, when it stays on kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So far, though, it's been beaten every time. Yes. The previous film. And to be fair, I think Lockstock should be beaten because it's not a gambling film. We'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> All right, guys. The quiz has been changed up a little bit, both because... Our leader in the clubhouse, James, has won twice in a row. And because I'm a little tired of making quizzes for you guys when I like to take quizzes. We want you to be part of the quiz. So whoever the loser is has to write the next quiz. Agreed. Also, I'm going to tell you right now, the winner is going to choose heads or tails, but I have... I have co-opted the movies. I was duped into watching <laughs> a non-gambling movie with like four minutes of some of the stupidest gambling I've ever seen. So I am, I am setting the deck and heads or tails. Your two options are going to be the Elvis film, Viva Las Vegas and Casino Royale. Don't raise your eyebrows. Not the Daniel Craig one, my friends. The David Niven original James Bond film, Casino Royale. I like that, but it's not a James Bond film. You got to take that back. He's James Bond in it. Yeah, but it's not a James Bond film. We'll get to that. I've when never we seen get James Bond. Never seen a James Bond film. Were you raised in a cage? <laughs> no. like, are you Amish? <laughs> I'm just, I, I think James is one of the. He he's actually come from one of the lost the lost tribes, and he's lived on an island and not had yeah. any involvement with any human interaction yeah. throughout his whole life. And I think the only people, it was like, he was like a sparrow in a nest, a baby sparrow in a nest whose parents went out to get the food and fed him, but he wasn't allowed to leave. Where are you going with us? Uh, I just think you're very (laughs) sheltered. This this insult, by the way, is the guy who has beaten you twice now in pop culture quizzes. (laughs) Folks, it's quiz time. And Mm -hmm. what I've also changed is that I'm not sure... The dynamic, given we're all in the same room. So I have eliminated multiple choice. Boo. Yeah, I don't like that. That's right. We're up in the ante on this, keeping those gambling puns going. See, multiple choice gave us the chance to kind of gamble. Gamble, yeah. I know. What I really should have done is brought two whiteboards and had you write your answers and show them at the same time. <laughs> but for, we'll Yeah, because that. that really works on audio. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that up for Barcelona. Okay. Sting has never received an Academy Award nomination for his acting, but he has been nominated in the best song category how many times? James, as the reigning winner, you have to answer first. Going through my Sting knowledge, which is very minimal. I know. Wait, does it include the police as well? Sure. You're the quiz master and you didn't sound confident there. <laughs> Do you know whether it includes the police? It doesn't matter. It, it, yeah. There was never a police song nominated for an Oscar. Oh, okay. I'm just going to say one. Five. The answer 
is four. And I did not say I'm we're not doing prices, right? Rules either, because I'm tired of tiebreakers and nonsense. Uh, so John, I'm tired of John's tricks and John moves. gets the point. Here's what I will say. I will give five bonus points if either of you can name one of the movies for which he was nominated. Didn't think so. Can we have the year of one of the films? Okay. These are, I mean, real doozies. Let me tell you. There's one called Jim, the James Foley story, which I believe is the documentary. Cold Mountain. Okay. The romantic comedy Kate and Leopold. And a legit really good movie, The Emperor's New Groove. He was in The Emperor's New Groove. He did the song, My oh. Funny Friend in Me. Okay. All okay. Right. Next, John, you're up first. Name the highest grossing film Guy Ritchie has directed. Lay a cake. Highest grossing film. Oh. Guy so Ritchie. You've already said it. You've already said it. Yeah, I'll take that back. <laughs> No, like, he, said it? he clearly didn't understand the question. Yeah, the yeah, answer no, is I didn't. layer cake. Uh, oh, okay. I think it's going to be Rocket Man. He did that, right? Your your dude, poor no. man's Harry Connick Jr. No. did that one. Oh, fuck that. Uh, no. What so do, you- do I get three guesses as well? I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Just go through his whole repertoire of films until you get it right. You do it. I don't know. No, go on. I'm saying layer cake. You're saying layer cake. It's probably wrong. Um, It is wrong. That's probably King Arthur. That was shit. It can't be King Arthur. That was a flop. Um, I'm just going to go with his recent one, The Gentleman. Aladdin. He did Aladdin. As in the recent Aladdin one with... The live action remake of Aladdin. Guy Ritchie did the live action remake of Aladdin. Also, neither the Sherlock Holmes movies came to mind for you guys. Those made boatloads of money too. Oh, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. I totally Mm. forgot that he did them. Recall, producer Molly, can we please cue up the part of the podcast when I said, when Guy Ritchie has a new movie, oh, we make a point to go and see it, they said. (laughs) We watch all of them, we said. I kind of, I, I have to see all Guy Ritchie movies because I think he's really good. Uh, actually, I said I didn't. I said I didn't. John did. No, I d- John I did, do, not me. But I just can't remember them. Okay. I've seen Aladdin. I've seen both of the Sherlock's. I've seen Layer Cake. I've seen all okay. of them. Including the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff, how many Fast and the Furious films has Jason Statham appeared in? Oh. James. So he wasn't in... Let me run through this in my head. So he wasn't in the first one. He wasn't in the second. He wasn't in Tokyo Drift. I'm going to say four. Are we, are we saying the ones that have been released? Yes. So not Including the not the second series. Hobbs and Shaw. Including Hobbs and Shaw, did you say? Uh, the question said, including Hobbs oh, I and Shaw. I thought you said excluding Hobbs and Shaw. So you mean five then? Yeah, please. Not the second half of ten. Not the second half. Because it's not out yet, is it? Right. I think it is five. The answer is six. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and Hobbs and Shaw. Prior to his film debut in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, Vinnie Jones was a successful footballer. How many times has he been sent off in <gasps> his career? That's a good question. John. Do you know also, this, don't you? No. Aren't we proud of Jess for coming up with a very specific that question? That is a great question. <laughs> I was like very proud of myself to come up and with And I'm really this. proud of you for saying football and not soccer. Yeah, it's soccer, but how many times has he been sent off, John? Did he play for England as well, didn't he? Wales? Oh, was he Wales? Was he Wales? Or, oh, no. Oh, this he- is not. Collaborative, one player to yeah, a hand, is, is, it, is this club or overall? Lifetime. Lifetime. Um, I'm pretty sure he played for Wales. Okay. Oh, it's got to be big. Or was he just one of those yellow card wonders? Like naughty until he got a yellow card. And so I'm just... actually not going to respond to you until you answer. See, somebody, you guys are like taking this quiz together. We can't be in the same room doing this anymore. Because I've got a theory around this. It might. Don't want to yours first before I continue. Go on. Give me something. No. I'm going to say 37. 37. (laughs) That's such a shit answer, that. 37. Okay, so think about. Oh my God, I'm going to make 
Molly, give us a sound. Just think about all the highlights you'd ever see from the Crazy Gang and the era that they were in the eighties. The challenges yeah, yeah, yeah. that went flying in, a lot of them got got like, away got, with got it. away with it. I think that's very high. So I think actually the number might be relatively low to what we think. See, I think he was a yellow card wonder. I've said thirty-seven just because he is just basically. So I, I actually think he's been sent off about eight or nine times. I don't think it's that many. Really? So what's your answer? I would say nine. The answer is twelve. See, it's not that, that, it's not that, it's not that high. But I want the sound clip of James going, 37. <laughs> just incredulously. I just picked that out of thin air. I should have said 42. Why? It's a number of everything. Okay. We are tied one to one. So this is going to be kind of what decides it. Holland and Holland is the manufacturer of the antique shotguns at the heart of the story of the film. In what year did Holland and Holland open for business? James. I'm kind of worried. I don't know if you guys will make quizzes as good as mine. No, we won't. Why not better? 100%. Well, we're probably about to find out because it seems like you're going to lose again. <laughs> What's the score? One to one. Okay. Does it need to be the specific year? I'm going to be, because I don't want to look up a tiebreaker, say that whichever one of you is closest okay. on either side of it wins. Uh, I think it's going to be about 1852. 1852. That's a very specific number. Because they're fucking ancient guns. They are fucking ancient guns. <laughs> they're muskets. You look very they're a bit long, ain't they? I want to look hard. You look really scary. Yeah, Sonoff's unfashionable anymore. What did you say? 1852. Because they refer to muskets. Uh, shall I say in my rational thinking? No. <laughs> Stop. Trying to help each other. We just want this tiebreaker. We don't want this to end. 1851. I hate you so much. Well played, John. I hate you <laughs> so much. <laughs> the answer is 1835. Oh, that's bullshit. Well, James, the sound you're of rain success. atop. The- oh, he's gone really red. Not as red as I did on... On, uh, on Beaver Rock Vegas. But he's just mad that he's going to have to mad. now make a quiz about either... Viva Las Vegas or Casino Royale, which means the time has come for the coin flip. I am raging with that. I hate that tactic so much. <laughs> flip of the coin. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to go Viva Las Vegas is going to be heads. Okay. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a royally good time because it's Casino Royale Royale. with my man, David Niven. All right. Hey, we're sticking with our British theme. We're just going down to an era that is more my speed. So you will catch me in a better mood. Hopefully James in a better mood and John, who's never in a better mood (laughs) on the next episode (laughs) of Cinema Reels. I fucking hate you so much. (laughs) 